to One Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. And for more information, please visit us on the web at onechurch.net. Anyway, well, uh, if you have your Bible, why don't you grab it with me this morning and turn to the book of Matthew. And uh, while you're turning there, I'll just give you a little update uh, on our building. And, and in fact, before we do that, we have to say uh, welcome to Miss Margot, who is here today for her first time at church. Come on. How old is she now, Justine? Three weeks. Three weeks old. Miss Margot Marie Johnson. And uh, she, the, the cuteness factor here continues to go up. And that is awesome. Well, uh, while you're turning to Matthew chapter 5, I just want to give you an update on a few things on our building. As you can see, uh, I think you are all aware that we are the proud owners of a building. Come on, who's excited about that? And uh, we have purchased the building at 1325 Lee Road. Now, if you drive by there today, it's not going to look like that. Let me just give you a little uh, heads up, okay? It's not going to look like that. Uh, how many of you know that there is a process? Right. And so uh, we are in that process. I know you guys may not hear much, see much. If you go by there, uh, you, you may not feel like there is a whole lot going on right now. There is actually work happening, demo work happening inside the building. Uh, next Saturday, Brad, we have another work day. Is that right? This coming Saturday, another work day at the building at 8 a.m., right? And uh, so everybody that wants to come, roll up your sleeves, uh, help do that work. That would be awesome. Uh, and that will all make it much smoother when we do get our permits. Uh, but I, I want to let you know we are uh, daily, there is work being done on that, right, J.D.? You can attest to that. J.D. and Brad and I are working on it. J.D. is finalizing the designs. We're, we are uh, in touch with the county on a regular basis, just getting everything together to make it quickly through the permitting process. Uh, in fact, this week, uh, I was invited to give the invocation at the county commission meeting, which was an awesome, awesome thing, really just a of God's favor, God's blessing uh, on this work that he has called us to do. And so the county, our county commissioner over District 2, Christine Moore, who is a believer, uh, invited me to come and give the invocation uh, at the county commission meeting. And then she shared the work that we're doing uh, at the open house. And uh, how many of you think that's pretty cool when uh, that work is getting talked about at the county commission meeting? And um, just another sign of God's favor and blessing. And uh, in fact, I'll mention this as a, another sidebar. Uh, I know that God is going to continue to give us opportunity to speak into those areas. In fact, in the coming weeks, we're going to be hosting a little conversation uh, about how do we live as kingdom citizens? How do we engage the sphere of influence that God has given to us? How many of you know those who don't show up don't have a voice? I don't know if you realize that. Go to, go to a meeting sometime and you'll find out those who have a voice are those who show up. And so we're going to talk about what's the voice that we should have, and we'll be sharing more information uh, about how you can join that conversation, not just about the building, but really about influencing our, our community uh, for the kingdom of God. 
Um, in, in fact, even this week, the commissioner put me in touch with another uh, business leader, the head of the Orlando Realtors Association, uh, for a meeting this week just to share more about what we're doing. And I had a phone call with him this week, and he's a believer too. Uh, I'm kind of using my like political correct, let's like kind of get a, a read on where he's at. And he said, hey, I'm a follower of Jesus, and I'm so excited about what you guys are doing. Let's get together. Let's talk. Let's see how we can partner together. Isn't that awesome? That is just God's favor uh, on this project. And I'll tell you, we need the favor of God. We need the favor of God. We need God's blessing. You know, when you don't have the favor of God, uh, everything is hard. Who's ever tried something without God's blessing on it? It's beating your head against the wall. But conversely, when God's favor is on something, it still takes work, but the doors open. And that's what we are continuing to pray, God's continued blessing on this project. Uh, I, I told you from the beginning, this is not about a building, this is about the kingdom of God. This is about the people's lives who will be transformed in this place. And so I want to ask you just to continue praying with us, uh, continue to pray uh, for God's favor on the permitting process that things would move forward. Uh, who, who's been through a permit process before? How many of you know it's a sanctifying event? It, it is. It can be trial by fire, but we're just praying that God would give us favor in that. Uh, we also want to pray that God would continue to provide. You know, we saw an incredible miracle of provision, $300,000 that came in towards the purchase of this building in 30 days. How many of you know we should still be thanking God for that? Uh, we should still be giving God praise. I still wake up and, and do a little dance when I get out of bed because of how good God has been in allowing us to get this building. But we want to not only buy the building, which we have, and renovate the building, which we will, we also want to furnish the building. And there will be a whole budget around FF&E that we'll be sharing with you in the coming weeks. But I'm just claiming this. I'm cl claiming Philippians 4.19, my God shall supply all all our need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. How many of you know 300000 in God's bank account is not a big deal? And, and so that's where our faith is, that we're going to complete the project and we're going to fulfill the vision that God has called us to, not because it's our ability, but it's according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And God is teaching us not just about the building, God's teaching us about building faith. How many of you know it? Faith is like muscles. I should have somebody else stand up, Matt, as an illustration of muscles. Faith are like muscles. We all have them, but those who use them build them, okay? And so we want to build our faith muscles, not just for this, but for everything God has for us. God wants to teach us through this project how to fulfill the destiny that he has on our lives individually. How many of you know God's put you on the earth for a reason? How many of you have fulfilled everything that God has called you to already? If you have already fulfilled it, then thank you for your service. You can go on. I think we all should have this sense of God has put me here for a reason. Maybe that's for your family. Maybe that's for your neighbors. Maybe that's for your business. And you're manifesting the kingdom of God in those areas. And so what we are doing is not just building a building. We're building faith to fulfill God's purpose on the earth. Amen? And so I want to encourage you, I'm just putting this in front of you to remind you where we're going, okay? I remind you where we're going. I told everybody in our pre-service prayer meeting that according to my calculations, and, and we may add on to this, but we've got somewhere around 11 or 12 Sundays left here at the Winter Park Community Center. 
Everybody who sets up and tears down is excited about that. And, and it may be, that's not a scientific number. It may be more than that. But my point is we're heading somewhere. We're heading somewhere, okay? And God is going to do an incredible work in that place. Lives are going to be changed. I'm telling you, Lee Road is going to be impacted. Uh, it, right now, it's, it's not a lovely area, but I believe that when the kingdom of God is manifest, Lee Road will become lovely road. Amen? It's going to become beautiful. It's going to become beautified because of the kingdom of God coming into that place. All right. Did that give you enough time to find Matthew chapter 5? All right, Matthew chapter 5, and um, we are in a series, really, that's, that's right in line with where we've been going in our teaching, and we're in a series that we're calling Counterculture. Counterculture. Everybody say counterculture. counterculture. And, and I think it's important that as we're in this series, we define what is culture. Culture is kind of this ambiguous thing uh, that really can be a lot of things, but I would say it this way, a culture is, is the character of a people in a place. It's the character of a people in a place. Culture is what you experience when you go into the French restaurant on Park Avenue, right? It, it's that French vibe. Who knows what I'm talking about? That, that's what makes that feeling is culture. Culture is what you experience when you're driving down Colonial Drive and suddenly you feel like you're in Vietnam. It, it's little Vietnam, right? And why is it that way? It's because uh, a couple of decades ago, there was a lot of refugees who came from Vietnam, and they landed in this place, and many of them started businesses, and, and their business is reflecting the culture that they are carrying. They are reflecting the culture of Vietnam so that here you are on, on you know, Mills and 50, and you feel like you're in Vietnam. You know what I'm saying? And the reason that I think that's important is because if we understand what God is wanting to do on the earth is this, that God's original intention has always been to bring the culture of heaven to earth. I don't know if you're aware of that. Some people think God's mission was just to evacuate earth into heaven. And so if we've, you know, we, we believe in Jesus, we're going to heaven when we die, and then we just live like everybody else in the meantime. That's not God's plan. Read the Bible. God's plan from the beginning was be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. Fill the earth. Yes, we have the blessed assurance that when this life is over, we will spend eternity with Christ. But now God is wanting to work through us to manifest the kingdom of heaven on the earth. People should experience just like they're driving down the road and they, they think, where am I? Am I in Vietnam? That's how they should feel when they come across us. That's how they should feel when they drive down Lee Road as, as we begin to manifest the kingdom of God in that place or in your neighborhood. People should feel like, wow, there's something different. There's a good vibe in this place. There's something different in the atmosphere. How many of you know that's what God wants to do? That's what God wants to do. It, we, God is calling us to be a counterculture community. And so we have been looking at really the kingdom manifesto, which is the Sermon on the Mount. It begins with this, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Not repent so you can go to the kingdom of heaven when you die. Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then Jesus is expounding the culture of the kingdom. Uh, we talked about the Beatitudes, which really could be summarized this way, that it is a culture of blessing, a culture of blessing. Jesus says this, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, in the natural, none of us would say about the poor, blessed are the poor, but Jesus is redefining what it means to be blessed. 
He's saying this, that even if you are poor, you can still be blessed. There is a blessing that is greater than just material blessing. The the kingdom of God is a culture of eternal blessing. It's a, uh, also a culture of purpose, as Nate talked about a few weeks ago, that God has put us on the earth uh, to be a light, to be salt in the world. So your purpose is bigger than just building your 401k. Nothing wrong with that, but God's got a whole lot more for you than that. He wants us to change the world. It's also a culture of conviction. I talked to you a few weeks ago, a couple of weeks ago, that Jesus said he did not come to abolish the law, but he came to fulfill it. And I used the illustration of the line down the center of the road, that the line, uh, although it doesn't have the power to keep you in the right direction, it shows you the way to go. And the Word of God shows us how we should live in a way that leads us to life. And I want to continue today in Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. If you're taking notes today, I'm titling this message, A Culture of Reconciliation. A culture of reconciliation. Matthew chapter 5, verse 21 says this. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And, who, and everyone who murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you, whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, which our kids say all the time, Raka, right? I mean, that's a real zinger. You get them every time with Raka. It means stupid or empty head. Whoever says to his brother, stupid, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Now, this is Jesus talking. This is New Testament. Let's continue reading. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. In other words, Jesus is saying, I care more about your relationships than I do about your religion. Uh, I'm more concerned with how you treat one another than, than how you shout and hoop and holler and dance. Now, he, he goes on to say, agree with your adversary while you're on the way, lest your adversary deliver you to the judge. Or actually, no, then he says, go back to verse 24, first be reconciled to your brother, then come offer your gift. So Jesus isn't saying don't bring your gift. He's saying I, I want you to get right with your brother. I want you to have right relationships, then bring your gift. How many of you know our gift doesn't matter if we don't, have love. It doesn't matter how great worship sounds on a Sunday. If there is no love, it doesn't please God. Verse 25 says, agree with your adversary quickly while you are on the way with him, lest your adversary deliver you to the judge and the judge hand you over to the officer and you will be thrown into prison. He's saying this, that, that through anger you can be imprisoned. Now you may not be imprisoned in a cell down at wherever the local prison is, you may not be in that place, but you could be in this place and still be imprisoned with anger. And so he goes on to say, Assuredly, I say to you, you will by no means get out of there till you have paid the last penny. So not only can you be imprisoned through your anger, but there is also a cost to your anger. Anger always, unresolved anger always has a cost. Think about the cost in our nation 
for the anger and the, the, the resentment that plagues our culture. Think about the cost to families. Think about the cost to friendships. Jesus says if you don't resolve your anger, there will always be a cost. Now it's important for us to, to look at what is the context for this text. What is the, the context that Jesus is speaking this in? And if you remember the story, Jesus is giving the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus is basically, he is preaching as I am today. You're hearing the best sermon in the world, not mine, but his today. And he's preaching, expounding on the teaching of the Old Testament. That's why he says again and again in this passage, he says, You've heard it said, you shall not murder, but I say to you. Then the next passage he'll say, You've heard it said, do not commit adultery, but I say to you. In fact, I think five or six times in this passage, he's quoting from the Old Testament. And, and so the, the context is Jesus is, is teaching out of the Old Testament, but he's actually teaching a New Testament reality. He's teaching from the Old Testament, but he's bringing a New Testament truth, and that is this, that you can have the right behavior externally, but you can have the wrong attitude internally. And you still have the same problem. He says this, you may not have murdered, to which probably most of his listeners were like, I'm good. I'm good. And, but he says, but you have, you've had anger in your heart. He, may, he says this, you may not have committed adultery. And everybody's like, yep, I'm pretty good. I've not done it, not done the deed. To which he says, but if you've looked at a woman to lust after her, you've committed adultery in your heart. You see, Jesus is like a good doctor. How many of you know that a good doctor doesn't only mask the symptoms, but deals with the sickness? If you go to the doctor and the doctor just deals with your sickness or the symptoms and doesn't address the sickness, the symptoms will continue to manifest in other ways. Who knows what I'm talking about? Yeah? If you have symptoms today, please feel free to, to leave. Um, <laughs> but Jesus is not just addressing the symptoms. He's addressing the sickness. You see, the law reveals the symptoms. The law shows do not, ang uh, do not murder, do not commit adultery. But Jesus is like this. He's, he's like a doctor. You ever been to the doctor and they start poking on you somewhere? There's, they kind of say something like, does this hurt? No. Does this hurt? No, I'm good. Does this hurt? Ow! Ow! He, he just keeps pressing the point. And here's what he's saying is, have you murdered? Nope, I'm good. Have you been angry? Ow! Has anybody in here ever been angry? We've all been angry. We've all been angry. And that's just this morning before you got here, right? I mean, we've all, we've all been angry, but Jesus is revealing the reality of our hearts he's revealing the condition of our hearts because ultimately the culture that we live in merely flows out of the heart within us and so you can change the external you can have the right laws but if you have the wrong heart it will manifest in other ways Jesus is saying you may not have pulled the trigger with your finger but you can pull the trigger with your heart and kill someone and kill a relationship now, we can listen to this and we can think, well, we're so, you know, this is, this is not relevant for us today. You know, this is 2,000 years ago. We're far more modern 
today. There's no anger problems. There's no anger issues in our world today. I'm being sarcastic. How, uh, anybody turned on the TV lately? How many of you know the whole world is angry? The whole culture is angry. I don't care whether you watch Don Lemon or Tucker, Tucker Carlson. They're all angry. Everybody's angry. In fact, uh, social commentators have called the last 20 years the age of rage. The age of rage. They're talking about the anger that has become normalized in our culture. There is anger socially. There is anger politically. There was a survey done uh, 20 years ago, and it was asking people of different political opinions and perspectives how they would feel about their child marrying someone of an opposing political um, perspective. And at that time, only 16% of people said that they would have an issue with that. Now, they continued to ask the same question in 2014. It was 38% would have a problem with it. Today, this year, it was 52% would have a problem with that. How many of you know there's a whole lot more percentage points in there that are lying, right? In fact, another poll says that 74% of the population is angry about politics. Now, some of you, maybe I'm triggering this morning. Let me just help you settle down. A moment. If you don't think that there is anger, just go on social media. I read a meme this week and it said something like this. There's some poor phoneless fool sitting by a waterfall somewhere, totally oblivious to how angry he should be. (laughs) I thought, I want to be that fool. Now, heaven forbid you look at the, the comments section of the news. How many of you know it's full-on demonic manifestation in the comment section? I mean, it is, it is ugly. And it's become so bad in our culture. Now, again, this is not a Republican or a Democrat issue. This is a human issue. And it's become so bad in our culture that now we've made a pastime out of anger. Who's heard of a rage room? A rage room. Some of you have heard of it. It's a place where basically it has become just a pastime to go blow off some anger, to go in and break some things. How many of you know when anger, when we pay for the opportunity to be angry, how many of you know that's not a good thing? Everybody tracking with me this morning? And so this, this is relevant, as relevant today as it has ever been. Therefore, we must ask the question, what are the roots of our anger? We have culturally, globally, there is an anger issue. Where does it start? I read one commentator that said that it started with the advent of Fox News. Now, whatever your political perspective is, how many of you know that people were angry long before there was Fox News? Uh, the, The roots of this issue go all the way back to the garden. Do you remember when Adam and Eve sinned? And do you remember who the first murderer was? It was Cain, who was angry with his brother. You see, ultimately, we have to recognize the roots of the anger in the culture is not a cultural issue or a political issue or an economic issue. It's a sin issue. It is a sin issue. And Jesus is, it does not mince his words on this. He is clear. You can call yourself a follower of Jesus, but if you don't don't love your brother, 
If you're filled with anger, if you're seething on the inside, he's saying that, that, that you're as good as a murderer. He's very clear. You see, ultimately, anger is a sin issue. Or we could say it this way, that the, the heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. The heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. And, and here's the reality that the world that we live in is filled with anger. Ultimately, that anger that we see uh, uh, among people towards one another is only the manifestation uh, of a disconnect that there has been with God. And because of the disconnect with God, the dislocation of relationship with God, we have now become dislocated in relationship with one another. Now, Jesus says, if you're angry without a cause, which, by the way, maybe if your Bible has the same note mine does, my Bible has a little, a little note beside that phrase, without a cause. Fun fact, there are some uh, manuscripts, some of the early manuscripts of Scripture did not have that phrase. So some of them just said, if you are angry with your brother, you're in danger of the judgment. And so whether it's with a cause or without a cause, how many of you know there, is a, there can be a cause for anger? There is a, a place where there is righteous anger. How many of you know that when, when we are sinned against, the response is anger? Now, some, of, some people may hear this and think, well, Justin, you're over-spiritualizing it. Justin, this is, this is not, you, you're just over-spiritualizing it because you're a pastor and that's your job to, to spiritualize everything. This isn't a spiritual problem. And, and some people may even say, well, I don't believe in God. I don't believe in sin. You know what's interesting? You may say you don't believe in sin. L let me just break into your house. I won't really, I promise, but... Some of you looked at me like I'm serious. Some, someone may say, I don't believe in sin. Well, let me just go scratch up your car real good. How, ma how many of you know, you may, some in our world may say there is no moral absolute. You, you know what feels good, and if, it's, if it makes you happy. How many of you know, that's, as soon as they get sinned against, they'll get real moral? How many of you know, as soon as somebody scratches up their car, cuts them off in traffic, suddenly they're, they're, they're going to get real clear about what is right and what is wrong. You know what I'm saying? It's on the heart of every person. And here's the issue that an inaccurate diagnosis will produce an insufficient cure. Let me say that again. An inaccurate diagnosis will produce an insufficient cure. That means this. I'm so angry that if we, I'm angry, but I'm angry about politics, so if I just had my way in politics, then I'd really be happy. Or I'm angry because of this or that, or whatever the situation is, we can use to justify it, but ultimately Jesus is drawing the attention that, that ultimately it traces back to our hearts. It's our hearts. Let me tell you, the problem is worse than you thought. It's worse than you thought. You thought we had political problems. It's a lot worse than that. Some people think we have, you know, and there is racism. And some would say that there's systemic racism. Let me tell you this, it's worse than that. It's not just systemic racism. Where did the systems come from? The systems came from the heart. Now, that's not a political statement. That's a biblical statement that ultimately it flows out of our hearts. 
so we could change a system, change a structure, change an administration, but until there is a heart change, we will have the same sickness manifesting with new symptoms. But let me give you some good news. When Jesus Christ hung on the cross, the Bible says this, that He, God, demonstrates His own love towards us in that while we were sinners... While we were against him, Christ died for us. Who's us? Us. Who's an us? Raise your hand if you're an us. We're all an us. Much more than having now been justified. That means just as if we've never sinned, justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. The good news of the gospel is this, that although sin has, has permeated the world, although that we've all been born with a genetic condition called sin and it manifests in all kinds of symptoms, including hatred and anger and murder and lust and all of the things that Jesus will address, the good news is this, that when Jesus hung on the cross, the Bible says that the wrath of God was poured out on him that he who knew no sin became sin. Let me say it this way. Jesus didn't just die to deal with our sin issue. He died to deal with our anger issues. Every sin committed against you and every sin that you have committed has been nailed, upon, uh, nailed on Jesus' body on the cross. Come on, that, that's worth giving the Lord praise for. That's the good news of the gospel. That's the hope for humanity. The hope for humanity. I'm not saying politics doesn't matter. I'm not saying that economics doesn't matter. I'm not saying that education doesn't matter. I'm saying those things can address the symptoms, but only Jesus Christ can bring the cure to the sickness of the human heart. That's why the church of Jesus Christ is the hope for humanity. The hope for humanity. We should be a, a counterculture. While the world is going crazy, while the world is arguing, we should be people that are demonstrating love, regardless of our political perspective, regardless of our opinions, regardless of all of the things. And I'm not saying that we don't address those things. I'm saying that our own, the only answer comes from Jesus. The only answer comes from Jesus. The church is, to, is called to be a culture of reconciliation in the age of rage. The church is called to be a culture of reconciliation in an age of rage. While the world is going crazy, when people walk in here, they ought to go, there's something different in that atmosphere. There's something different in that place. When they walk into that building on Lee Road, they should say there's something different. And it's not just going to be the beautiful architecture, although it will be there. It will not be the great coffee, although it will be there. It will not be the good music and worship and all of those things, although they will be there. It will be the kingdom of God dwelling in us. They'll walk in, they'll go, this, this place is different. Where, where am I? Where, I thought I was on Lee Road in Orlando. Where am I? I feel like I'm in heaven. How many of you want that? Yeah. I want that. As the Bible says it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Who's in that? Who's, who signed up for that? 
Yep, if you haven't signed up for that yet, today could be a day you sign up for it. Now all things are of God who has reconciled. That word reconciled means to take two opposing enemies, two people of different perspectives, two people who are going opposite directions. He's reconciled, bring them together, us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. How many of you know that the world needs ministers of reconciliation? The world needs, it's desperate for ministers of reconciliation. So I want to give you today three dimensions of reconciliation. If we're going to be a culture of reconciliation in the age of rage, there's three dimensions to this reconciliation. The first dimension that I want you to see is up. It's up. It is this, that we must first be reconciled to God. That's what the Bible says, that we have been reconciled to himself through Jesus Christ. You see, if we've never been reconciled with God, we've never dealt with the source of our anger issues. We've never dealt with the issues of justice. Last summer, as there was riots across our nation, there was a a profound cry that came out. And again, regardless of political response to that, There was a cry that came out that struck my heart, and it was this cry, no justice, no peace. No justice, no peace. I thought that is revealing the very heart of the gospel. Now, the Bible also says that the wrath of man will not produce the righteousness of God. So our efforts at, at, you know, rioting or anything else will not bring about the righteousness of God. But that statement is true. Where there is no justice, there can be no peace. That's why we must first recognize that the ultimate justice has been accomplished by Jesus upon the cross. It's been accomplished by Jesus upon the cross. You know, again, if, if I scratched up your car and, and beat up your car, I could say, would you forgive me? And, and you could say, just out of your niceness, you could say, I forgive you. How many of you know that wouldn't change the status of the car? That car still wouldn't be right. That car wouldn't be just as if if it had never happened. Right? How many of you know that for that scratch to be fixed, there would have to be payment made? And that's what Jesus did on the cross. He made the payment for your sin and for my sin, the sin committed against you and the sin that you have committed. He's paid for the sin that we've committed Husbands and wives have committed against each other. Just us? He's paid it. So ultimately, the, only, the ultimate source, the ultimate cure can only be found in Jesus. Social programs can't do it. Uh, you know, initiatives. I'm not saying that those things are bad. They will work out the good news of the gospel. But if there is no healing... How many of you know getting people together in the room, if they've got hatred in their heart, doesn't change it? And so Jesus has to bring a new heart. I I heard it said of communism, the dream of communism was to put every man in a new coat. The shortcoming of communism is that communism could not produce a new man in every coat. And the root issue was ultimately the issue of the human heart. Again, there's an economic outworking of that when the gospel comes into your heart, you'll become hardworking. When the gospel comes into your heart, you'll also become generous. 
And so there is an economic outworking, there is a social outworking, there is a cultural outworking, but it begins with the gospel transforming our hearts. Jesus is going to go on to say, love your enemy. Who's still working on that? Some of us, all of us. C.S. Lewis said this, forgiveness is a lovely idea until you actually have something to forgive. It's real easy to preach about forgiveness, but every time I preach about something, the Lord gives me an opportunity to walk it out. And the same is true for every single one of us, and it's ultimately we've got to go back to what has God done for us. I, I may be angry at somebody else. They may have committed an injustice against me, but that pales in comparison to what I've done against God. The chasm between God's rightness and my wrongness far eclipses the chasm between me and someone else who has wronged me. And so ultimately, we must receive the grace of God to produce the, the unconditional love in our hearts. People like to say today, love is love. That's not true. Love is not love. Not all love is equal. I love tacos. But how many of you know that's not the same love that I have for my wife? And that's not the same love that God has for me. He has unconditional love. Unconditional love. So if we're going to love like God loves unconditionally, we have to receive that love from God. I love the story uh, that Nicky Cruz tells in his book, The Cross and the Switchblade. Nicky Cruz was a kind of a gangster in New York in the 70s, and David Wilkerson, who was a pastor, came to New York City and was preaching the gospel. And some of you may be familiar with the story that David Wilkerson continued to show up and talk to these gangsters about the love of God, the love of God. God loves you. God has a plan for your life. He's got a purpose for your life. Follow Jesus. He'll change your life. And they got so tired of hearing it that one day Nicky Cruz pulled out a knife on David Wilkerson and he, he started making his way towards him to stab him as he had to many others in those streets. And David Wilkerson, as Nicky was coming towards him with the cross, David Wilkerson said, you can cut me into a million pieces. And as those pieces lay on the ground, every one of them will say, I love you. How many of you know that's the love of God? That's the love of God. That's not, I don't have that power, you don't have that power, but God has that power. God is the one who loved his enemies. God is the one who paid the price for restoration of relationships. So we must be reconciled first to God. Now that's not just a one-time thing. That's a daily thing. We need to daily go back and be reconciled, reconnected to God. That's why it's so important every morning that we spend time with the Lord, not just in the morning, but in the afternoon on our lunch break, in the, at, at dinner time, throughout the evening, all the time. We've got to reconcile, reconnect to God. We've got to say, Lord, my love, my love tank is getting low. Would you fill me up with your love? Fill me back up with your love. So the first dimension is up, that we must be reconciled to God. The second dimension of reconciliation is in, in the church, in the family of God. That's why Jesus says this, therefore if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your who? That your brother has something against you. That your brother has something against you. Jesus is using this family language. 
You know, sometimes we think of church as just a, a religious organization. I want you to know it's far more than that. It's far more than that. The church is the family of God. And when you get saved, when you put your faith in Jesus, you join a family. Look around. Look around. Th- these are your family members. Now, here's the thing about family. How many of you know you don't get to choose your family? Do you know that? Some of you are like, I want a new family. I, I'm, I'm going to go find a new family. Well, the moment that you want to go find a new family because things are rough is probably the very moment that God is working in your life. Now, this is a whole other topic, but church hopping is often a, a, a desire to avoid the relationships that become productive in our lives. So when things get uncomfortable, I'm going to go right up the street. I'm going to go find somebody else. Here's the problem. You go there, you take your problems with you. And so God is at work among us to perfect us. And so he says this, if you remember that your brother has something against you. Notice he doesn't even say if you have something against your brother. He says, you're going to worship. You're right there. They're getting ready to sing your song. You're about to lift up your worship to the Lord. And all of a sudden you remember, I I think they may be upset at me. Jesus says, stop. Go your way. Stop, collaborate, and listen, right? Stop, go your way. Go to your brother. In other words, take the initiative. Jesus doesn't say you need to wait for them to come to you. He says, stop, go your way. Go to them. Be reconciled to them. In other words, have the hard conversation. How, how many of you know that soft conversations sometimes produce hard people? We can avoid the difficult conversations. We can avoid things, and ultimately, because it's, it's uncomfortable, but ultimately it can produce a hardness of heart. The way we soften our hearts is by humbling ourselves. And we go to a brother or a sister and say, I don't know if this is just me, but I feel like there's something between us. And if I've done anything to hurt you or offend you, I'm so sorry for that. Don't wait for them to come to you. Have the hard conversations. What Jesus is telling us is this, that the true test of our religion is our relationships. Another place, the Bible says this, you can... You can say that you love God till you're blue in the face, but if you don't love your brother, you don't love God. If you don't love the people here, sometimes it's easy to love some fantasy church on Instagram. How many of you know there's some beautiful churches on Instagram? I mean, I am following them. They are beautiful. Everybody looks happy. Every worship, hands are raised. I mean, it's just, wow, God's moving on Instagram. How many of you know that's not real life? That's not real life. Here's the reality. Where you have people, you have problems. Where two or more are gathered, there is problems in the midst. And so Jesus is saying, don't give up on the relationship. Go to them. Take the initiative. Be reconciled. If we say, I can't reconcile to my brother what we are saying, and I I know there is a responsibility on them. That's why the Bible says, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. So if you've done everything, don't don't just say, I can't live peaceably with them if you've not gone to them. Jesus says, go to them. If you've done everything you can do, then, then, then you can have peace with God. But if you're just saying, I can't forgive what they've done to me, what you are doing 
And what I am doing, if we say that, is we are putting ourselves on a higher judgment than God. We are saying, I am better than God. The Bible says that you can insult the Spirit of grace. You can, you can tread upon the blood of Jesus. What that's saying is, I, I, I may say with my mouth that there is no sin that is unforgivable, but I'm not forgiving that person. I'm devaluing the blood of Jesus. I'm saying that His blood's enough for my sin, but not for their sin. The same blood that reconciles us to God is the same blood that reconciles us to one another. So we first need to be reconciled up, then we need to be reconciled in, then we need to be reconciled out. Reconciling to the world. Once we're reconciled to God, we're reconciled to each other, then we can become reconciling to the world. So I read already 2 Corinthians 5.18 says, All things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That word ministry is a, is a governmental term. Sometimes in government, they'll talk about the ministry of the interior, the ministry of tourism, the ministry of education. And, and what God is saying here is that you've been given a ministry. You've been given the ministry. I've been given a ministry. It's the ministry of reconciliation. That means this. In the world, if there's an education problem, it's, a, it's the issue of the ministry of education. If there's a reconciliation problem, it's the responsibility of the ministry of reconciliation. You are called, I am called, the reason we've called our church one church is the emphasis of unity to, to, to demonstrate that we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. That means this, that there ought to be more peace and joy and love in your office because you're there. There should be less arguments in your neighborhood because you're there. You're diffusing disputes and anger because you're there. Why? Because you're bringing the ministry of reconciliation. The ministry of reconciliation. Let me, let me ask you this. How's your ministry going? How's your ministry of reconciliation going? In, in, in your home, how's the ministry of reconciliation going? Uh, with, your, with your spouse, if you're married, or with your, your family and your friends, how's the ministry of reconciliation going? With your neighbors whose dog poops in your yard, how's the ministry of reconciliation going? With, with that boss or that employee or that business partner, how's the ministry of reconciliation going? Let me say this, on social media, how's your ministry of reconciliation going? How's your ministry of reconciliation? Now, I'm off social media for the past few days, so if you posted something, you know, angry, I'm not directing at you. But how many of you know that social media at the other end of those screens is real people? And, and, and there's people in this church on the other end of those screens. And you wouldn't walk into this room and scream out an insult at someone. Don't do it on social media. Why? Because you've got the ministry of reconciliation. If you have an issue with somebody, go to that person. Talk to them about it. How many of you know nobody has seen an angry post on social media and gone, that just changes everything. I was really set in my ways until I saw your post. My eyes have seen the light. Right? What am I talking about? I'm talking about the ministry of reconciliation. That God has in Christ reconciled us to himself. He's reconciled us to to each other 
and he's reconciling the world through us. As Nate talked about a few weeks ago, we are the salt, we are the light. How's our reconciliation going? I want to ask if you would stand to your feet. Got a few more minutes.